grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text is from Acts, where we learn from Paul how to share our faith. And people always say, how do you share your faith in Jesus Christ? How do you tell about the resurrection? Well, you just say it. It's just that simple. And so that's what Paul does in our text today. And from our text, we read, Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with Paul. And some said, What does this babbler wish to say? And others said, He seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. Well, dear friends of Christ, have you ever listened to a talented singer, an artist that just says, sings something that is so incredibly beautiful that it moves you to tears? And, you know, sometimes people, if you watch The Voice, um, you look, they pan the audience, and you see people, they're in tears, they're moved. And maybe it was a beauty of the voice, maybe it was a beauty of the words of the song, but whatever it was, they were moved. And whatever it is that moves us to tears, we're moved. Something deep inside of us happens. Something snaps and we're moved. That's what Paul hoped would happen to him for his audience. But all he could do is preach. He didn't have a song. And so he preached, hoping that God would do the moving in the hearts of these unbelievers. And the sad thing, it was a slow movement, you know, as as the people weren't moved right away, at least not initially. In our text, the Apostle Paul stood before a group of skeptics, skeptic philosophers. They liked new ideas, and it was in Athens. And he told them about God's glory. He told them about how God is the creator, about his heavens and earth. He told them he is the only one true God. However, the skeptics were quick to question, slow to learn. They were quick to speak, but slow to listen. How did Paul deal with all that? How did Paul deal with these skeptics? Well, he didn't give up. He didn't give up because he loved those skeptics. He loved those lost people, those unbelievers, and he wanted to see God save their soul. He wanted to see God move them to tears and to repentance. See the Holy Spirit work in their hearts. Have you ever met a skeptic in your life? You know, someone who questions everything about the Christian faith, they They had skeptics back then, they have skeptics today, and these are the people who stubbornly say, I don't want to come to church. The church is full of hypocrites. The church is full of sinners. (laughs) Yes, it is. Or it's someone who says, I don't want to come to church because all they ever want is money. Or we hear these skeptics say, I have my own view of God. I don't need the church telling me what to believe or how to live. How do you deal with people like that? Stubborn, opinionated. But we can learn something from the Apostle Paul in our text as he deals with these stubborn people. 
as we consider our theme, Dealing with the Skeptics. How did Paul deal with those skeptics in Athens? Well, he just simply pointed them to God. He said, there is a God, and there's only one. You have all kinds of idols, but let me tell you about the one true God. And we can learn something from how Paul dealt with them. He said, our text says, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus, and he said, men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. As Paul looked around the city, something disturbed him. As he walked through Athens, there was one temple to an idol after another temple to an idol, and everybody was worshiping different gods. It was greatly distressing to him, the number of idols and false gods. And the Romans had a lot of gods because they were a very religious people. And so what is What does Paul start out with? He starts out with the truth. You are a religious people, so worshiping something isn't foreign to you. You like worshiping something. Can I introduce you to the one who is to be worshiped? So it really is just that simple. However, being religious, having a religion, does not mean you're going to be saved. Being religious, having a religion, does not mean you're going to be delivered from hell. Only Jesus does that. And very, very many people are religious today. We live in a religious society. And they're very sincere. They're very sincere about something. Just like the Greeks, they believe in all sorts of things. They believe that they're going to live forever, but they don't know how they're going to live forever. They don't know where they're going to live forever or in what form they're going to live forever. They just simply believe that when they die, that their loved ones are looking down as only God can do from heaven and blessing them. They're very religious. But they are not worshiping idols. No, the people of today worship ideas. They turn their ideas in their own minds. They make ideas about who God is. And they formulate a God for their own mind, for their own soul. They develop a faith molded by their human intellect and by their human wisdom and their human pride. In Habits of the Heart, Robert Bila describes an interview with a very religious woman named Sheila. And Sheila said, I believe in God, but I can't remember the last time I went to church. I don't need church because my faith has carried me a long way. I call it Sheilaism instead of Christianity, right? I call it Sheilaism. It's just my own little voice. You know, people are spiritual. But that does not mean that they want to know God, or it does not mean that though they feel spiritual, that they want God to tell them what to do or to tell them how to live. They want, or to tell them how to believe, they want God on their own terms. Just like the Greeks did. In his walk through Athens, Paul noticed that the Greeks had an altar. Kind of like we have an altar in front of our church. It was an altar to what was inscribed the unknown God. 
an unknown God. Just to cover all the bases. Because you had all the, all the temples and all the gods that they had idols for and temples for, but just in case they missed a God, there it is. That covers all the others. And Jesus fell into that category, didn't he? God fell into that category. There's a way of covering every base. And, and what if they missed a God? Well, that altar covered the unknown. But the altar was a visible confession that these Stoic philosophers didn't know at all. They truly didn't know which deities were real and which deities were false. They had no idea and no proof. And so they ascribed an altar to this unknown God. And Paul saw this as an opportunity to reach these unbelievers, these very spiritual people. And so he says... What you worship as something unknown, I'm going to proclaim to you. So Paul, Paul acknowledged these people were very religious, and he appealed to their spiritual nature to believe in the true God, because deep down, these Greeks were searching for truth. They, they were willing, they were open to new things in this day, in that day. Today, I don't think we're so stoic like the Greeks were back then. Today, people are more stubborn. So Paul told them, I want you to know about the way. I want you to know about the truth, and I want you to know about the life. I want you to know about Jesus. The God who made the world and everything in it, he said, is the Lord of heaven and earth, and he does not live in temples that you've made by hands. Our, my God is different. The true God is different. God is not Mother Nature. And you hear that all the time, people outside worshiping Mother Nature or worshiping a golf god or worshiping the fishing god or worshiping the weather god. Or um, There's all kinds of gods out there. I, I was even bowling in the bowling alley and somebody got a strike and somebody said, well, the, golf, the bowling gods are sure with you. And so now we have bowling gods. It's interesting enough. Um, they're all out there. We did not happen to just evolve by chance. We're not God. Our God is the one who created the heaven and the earth, the glory of his creation, the vastness of, of space reveals the vastness of our God, the creator of all things, and the complexity of his creation, the complexity of what we call a simple cell is not simple at all. The simple cell that was supposed to have been created out of nothing in a murky soup through evolution is so complex that everything that's happening in that cell in a moment is the same as everything that is happening in New York City in a moment to make that city function. Incredibly complex. Francis Collins wrote a book called The Language of God. Now you say, who's Francis Collins? He was, he was a genius. He was a genius scientist, and he led what was called the Genome Project. That was where they sequenced all the genes of the human body. And so he led a team of scientists, and they sequenced all the genes of the human body. And when his study began, Francis was a skeptic. He was an unbeliever. But as he began to look at the look deeper and deeper into the DNA of human life. 
he saw more and more information, more and more complexity. At first, he didn't believe in God, but his perspective changed. He came to believe in a great designer. And he saw that the complexity, the profound complexity of science, and and even more so the profound complexity of, of the human cell, particularly the DNA of human life, had a special design from a special creator that pointed him to a savior. But like the Greeks, Francis Collins started out as a skeptical unbeliever. And so with that kind of hope for his Greek audience, Paul proclaims, and he spoke, God is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. God gives everyone life, breath, and everything that they have. You know, if you go to Athens today, you can still see the the famous Parthenon. It was built to be a temple to the gods. And to all their Greek gods, you know, Zeus and all those type of things. But Paul says, God is not one to live in a temple made by human hands. God's not a chicken that you feed so you can get eggs or a cow that you feed so you can get milk. No, that's a very small view of God. That's a human view of God. Our God is one who created all things. Our God is one who gives life to all things. He rose, he died, and he rose from the grave to save all people from eternal death. And Jeremiah describes the foolishness of men who think that they can create their own gods in their own minds. He says, For the custom of the peoples are worthless. They cut a tree from the forest, talking about idols, they cut a tree from the forest, and a craftsman shapes it with his chisel. They adorn it with silver and gold. They fasten it with a hammer and nails so that it will not totter. And like a scarecrow in a melon patch, their idols cannot speak. They must be carried because they cannot walk. Do not fear them, for they can do no harm to you, nor can they do any good. So Paul reminded these skeptics that their gods were nothing but wood and gold and silver. He pointed them to a much larger God, who is a God of life, who conquers death, the almighty, all-powerful God. You know, we tend to do what the Greeks did. Uh, They made their gods fit their own human construct. And even though we believe that God is Father, God is Son, and God is the Holy Spirit, even though we sing, How Great Thou Art, When things get tough, we tend to make God small. I'm going to talk about my Bible study, if we get that far, but we treat God like He doesn't know what's going on. And in our prayers, we say, hey Lord, little Paul down here didn't know if you forgot about my corner of the earth or not. So we feel like we have to remind him like like he's not all powerful or all knowing. If we don't let him know, he won't know. And the result, we fear. We fear because we make him small. We learn to trust our own resources. We learn to trust in our own strength. But the Bible reminds us to trust in the Lord. 
Psalm 46 reminds us, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in time of trouble. And then we forget all that. So he reminds us again, be still and know that I'm God. I'll be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. God is our mighty fortress, as Martin Luther sang in his hymn. A mighty fortress is our God. And he uses his power and he uses his authority and he uses his might to personally direct our lives, to give us life. And that's why Paul spoke to these skeptical, stoic philosophers. From one man, God made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. So how does Paul talk to these unbelievers? Just very simply, right? This isn't something that you couldn't do. At the beginning, God made Adam, and he made him out of the dirt. And from Adam came all people. That's what he's saying. That they should inhabit the old earth. He determined the time set for the men and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps find him, though he's not far from each of us. For in him, in God, we live and move and have our being. In God, we exist. Without God, we don't exist. And without belief in this God, in Jesus, you won't exist in his presence forever. There's only one God, and that God is the one who created man from dust. There's only one God, and he called all things into existence with the power of his word. And he determines where people will live and how long those people will live and where they'll live. And God's not passive. God is not passive. He is active in our lives today. And he wants people to search for him. To search for salvation in his son Jesus Christ. Isaiah 55 tells tells us how desperately God wants to save this lost world. He pleads. He pleads with the human race. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he's still near. And let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man forsake his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord, for the Lord will have mercy on him. And so God is there working in the midst of their lives to bring them to God. To deliver his his message of unfailing love. And to give them life. To give them eternal life. Through his son who died for them. And that's the message. That's the message God has given us. The message of the resurrection. It's a message God has given us to share with our children, with our, with our friends, with our family, with our community. Because we have a message of hope for the whole world. And the Lord gives people just a certain amount of time to believe. Just a certain amount of time to repent, to return to the Lord. And so Paul warned the Greeks and Paul warns us. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands people everywhere to repent. Today is the day to repent. And when it says that God overlooks such ignorance, it does not mean that that God will let these people escape the judgments to come. No. No. God overlooks such ignorance by giving people time to repent. By postponing Judgment Day. So people can come. 
so that people can search. Paul also told these heathen skeptics the truth about Judgment Day. He said, For God has set a day when He will judge the world with justice by the man He appointed, by Jesus. God set a day when Jesus is going to come back again. And He is coming back again to judge the living and the dead. And we don't know when it's going to be. But we do know He's coming. And when he does, it'll be too late. And the world desperately, desperately needs to know that. Because they're dying. They need to know it's real. And they know, need to know it's going to happen to everybody, even to them. You know, look how the world has responded to COVID-19. I, look at the, the, the measures that we've gone to, the risks that we have, have done to our economies around the world so that people won't die. People don't want people to die. Well, God says people are going to die forever. However, this just isn't a, a physical death. This is an eternal spiritual death, an eternal suffering in hell. And everybody needs to know about the cure. Everybody needs to know about Jesus. And in the season of resurrection, my friends, that's our task. That's our calling. God has called us to tell the world about his death, about his suffering, about his resurrection, about his ascension into heaven, about the ruler who rules all things, the one who lives in our hearts, and the one who is coming again to judge the living and the dead. Who's going to tell them? Well, you bear that witness. You bear that responsibility to point people, as Paul did, to the God who created them and the God who died to save them. Amen. Now may the peace of God that passes all understanding keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.